Act One of Beyond the Horizon by Eugene O'Neill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Beyond the Horizon by Eugene O'Neill. Act One. Characters: James Mayo, a farmer. Read by Delmar H. Dolbeer. Kate Mayo, his wife. Read by Amy Graymore. Captain Dick Scott, of the Bark Sundra, her brother. Read by Algie Pug. Andrew Mayo. Read by David Goldfarb. And Robert Mayo. Read by M.B. Sons of James Mayo. Ruth Atkins. Read by Elizabeth Clatt. Mrs. Atkins, her widowed mother. Read by Arielle Lipshaw. Mary. Read by Dana Meilinger. Ben, a farmhand. Read by Todd. Dr. Fawcett. Read by Barry Eads. Narrator. Read by Todd. Act One. Scene One. Scene. A section of country highway. The road runs diagonally from the left, forward, to the right, rear and can be seen in the distance winding toward the horizon like a pale ribbon between the low rolling hills with their freshly ploughed fields clearly divided from each other checkerboard fashion by the lines of stone walls and rough snake fences the forward triangle cut off by the road is a section of a field from the dark earth of which myriad bright green blades of false stone rye are sprouting a straggling line of piled rocks too low to be called a wall separates this field from the road the rear of the road is a ditch, with a sloping grassy bank on the far side. From the center of this, an old gnarled apple tree, just budding into leaf, strains its twisted branches heavenward, black against the pallor of distance. A snake fence sidles from left to right along the top of the bank, passing beneath the apple tree. The hushed twilight of a day in May is just beginning. The horizon hills are still rimmed by a faint line of flame, and the sky above them glows with the crimson flush of the sunset. This fades gradually as the action of the scene progresses. At the rise of the curtain, Robert Mayo is discovered sitting on the fence. He is a tall, slender young man of twenty-three. There is a touch of the poet about him, expressed in his high forehead and wide, dark eyes. His features are delicate and refined, leading to weakness in the mouth and chin. He is dressed in gray corduroy trousers, pushed into high-laced boots, and a blue flannel shirt with a bright-colored tie. He is reading a book by the fading sunset light. He shuts this, keeping a finger in to mark the place, and turns his head toward the horizon, gazing out over the fields and hills. His lips move as if he were reciting something to himself. His brother Andrew comes along the road from the right, returning from his work in the fields. He is twenty-seven years old, an opposite type to Robert. Husky, sun-bronzed, handsome in a large-featured manly fashion, a son of the soil, intelligent in a shrewd way, but with nothing of the intellectual about him. He wears overalls, leather boots, a gray flannel shirt open at the neck, and a soft mud-stained hat pushed back on his head. He stops to talk to Robert, leaning on the hoe he carries. Hey there! Robert turns with a start. Seeing who it is, he smiles. Gosh, you do take the prize for daydreaming. And I see you've toted one of the old books along with you. He crosses the ditch and sits on the fence near his brother. What is it this time? Poetry, I'll bet. He reaches for the book. Let me see. Handing it to him rather reluctantly. Now look out you don't get it full of dirt. Glancing at his hands. That isn't dirt. It's good, clean earth. He turns over the pages. His eyes read something. Hump. With a provoking grin at his brother, he reads aloud. I have loved wind and light and the bright sea. But holy and most sacred night, not as I love and have loved thee. He hands the book back. Here, take it and bury it. I suppose it's that year in college gave you a liking for that kind of stuff. I'm darn glad I stopped at high school, or maybe I'd been crazy too. He grins and slaps Robert on the back affectionately. Imagine me reading poetry and plowing at the same time. The team'd run away, I'll bet. <laughs> or picture me flower. You should have gone back to college last fall. Like I know you wanted to. You're fitted for that sort of thing. Just as I ain't. 
You know why I didn't go back, Andy. Pa didn't like the idea, even if he didn't say so. And I know he wanted the money to use improving the farm. And besides, I'm not keen on being a student. Just because you see me reading books all the time. What I want to do now is keep on moving so I don't take root in any one place. Well, the trip you're leaving on tomorrow will keep you moving all right. At the mention of the trip, they both fall silent. Uncle says you'll be gone three years. About that, he figures. That's a long time. Not so long when you come to consider it. You know, the sun just sails around the horn for Yokohama first, and that's a long voyage on a sailing ship. And if we go to any of the other places Uncle Dick mentions, India or Australia or South Africa or South America, they'll be long voyages too. You can have all those foreign parts for all of me. Ma's going to miss you a lot, Rob. Yes, and I'll miss her. And pa ain't feeling none too happy to have you go, though he's been trying not to show it. I can see how he feels. You can bet that I'm not giving any cheers about it. He puts one hand on the fence near Robert, putting one hand on top of Andrews with a gesture almost of shyness. I know that too, Andy. I'll miss you as much as anybody, I guess. You see, you and I ain't like most brothers, always fighting and separated a lot of the time. While we've always been together, just the two of us, it's different with us. That's why it hits so hard, I guess. It's just as hard for me, Andy. Believe that. I hate to leave you and the old folks, but I feel I've got to. There's something calling me. He points to the horizon. Oh, I can't just explain it to you, Andy. No need to, Rob. Hell, you want to go. That's all there is to it. I wouldn't have you miss this chance for the world. It's fine of you to feel that way, Andy. Huh, I'd be a nice son of a gun if I didn't, wouldn't I? When I know how you need this sea trip to make a new man of you, in the body, I mean, and give you your full health back. All of you seem to keep harping on my health. You were so used to seeing me lying around the house in the old days that you never will get over the notion that I'm a chronic invalid. You don't realize how I've bucked up in the past few years. If I had no other excuse for going on Uncle Dick's ship but just my health, I'd stay right here and start in plowing. Can't be done. Farming ain't your nature. There's all the difference shown in just the way us two feel about the farm. You, well, you like the home part of it, I expect, but as a place to work and grow things, you hate it. Ain't that right? <sighs> yes, I suppose it is. For you, it's different. You're a mayo through and through. You're wedded to the soil. You're as much of a product of it as an ear of corn is or a tree. Father's the same. This farm is his life's work. And he's happy in knowing that another mayo, inspired by the same love, will take up the work where he leaves off. I can understand your attitude and pause. I think it's wonderful and sincere, but I, well, I'm not made that way. No, you ain't. But when it comes to understanding, I guess I realize that you've got your own angle of looking at things. I wonder if you do, really. Sure, I do. You've seen a bit of the world, enough to make the farm seem small, and you've got the itch to see it all. Well, it's more than that, Andy. Oh, of course. I know you're going to learn navigation and all about a ship so as you can be an officer. That's natural, too. There's fair pay in it, I expect, when you consider that you've always got a home and grub thrown in. And if you're set on traveling, you can go anywhere you're a mind to without paying fare. With a smile that is half sad. It's more than that, Andy. Sure it is. There's always a chance of a good thing coming your way in some of those foreign ports or other. I've heard there are great opportunities for a young fellow with his eyes open in some of those new countries that are just being opened up. I'll bet that's what you've been turning over in your mind, under all your quietness. He slaps his brother on the back. Well, if you get to be a millionaire all of a sudden, call round once in a while and I'll pass the plate to you. 
We could use a lot of money right here on the farm without hurting it any. <laughs> I've never considered that practical side of it for a minute, Andy. Well, you ought to. <laughs> no, I oughtn't. Pointing to the horizon. Supposing I was to tell you that it's just beauty that's calling me. The beauty of the far off and unknown. The mystery and spell of the East which lures me in the books I've read. The need of the freedom of great wide spaces. The joy of wandering on and on. In quest of the secret which is hidden over there, beyond the horizon. Suppose I told you that was the one and only reason for my going. I should say you were nutty. Frowning. Don't, Andy, I'm serious. Then you might as well stay here, because we've got all you're looking for right on this farm. There's wide space enough, Lord knows. You can have all the sea you want by walking a mile down to the beach. There's plenty of horizon to look at, and beauty enough for anyone, well, except in the winter. As for the mystery and spell, I haven't met them yet, but they're probably lying around somewheres. I'll have you understand this is a first-class farm with all the fixings. <laughs> it's no use talking to you, you chump. You'd better not say anything to Uncle Dick about spells and things when you're on the ship. He'll likely chuck you overboard for a Jonah. He jumps down from fence. I'd better run along. I've got to wash up some as long as Ruth's ma is coming over for supper. And Ruth. Confused, looking everywhere except at Robert. Trying to appear unconcerned. Yes, Ruth'll be staying too. Well, I better hustle, I guess, and... He steps over the ditch to the road while he is talking who appears to be fighting some strong inward emotion. Wait a minute, Andy! He jumps down from the fence. There's something I want to... He stops abruptly, biting his lips, his face coloring. Facing him, half defiantly. Yes? No. Uh, no, never mind. It doesn't matter. It was nothing. After a pause, during which he stares fixedly at Robert's averted face. Maybe I can guess what you were going to say. But I guess you're right not to talk about it. He pulls Robert's hand from his side and grips it tensely. The two brothers stand looking into each other's eyes for a minute. We can't help those things, Rob. He turns away, suddenly releasing Robert's hand. You'll be coming along shortly, won't you? Yes. See you later, then. He walks off down the road to the left. Robert stares after him for a moment, then climbs to the fence rail again and looks out over the hills an expression of deep grief on his face. After a moment or so, Ruth answers hurriedly from the left. She is a healthy, blonde, out-of-door girl of twenty, with a graceful, slender figure. Her face, though inclined to roundness, is undeniably pretty, its large eyes of a deep blue set off strikingly by the sun-bronze complexion. Her small, regular features are marked by a certain strength, an underlying stubborn fixity of purpose, hidden in the frankly appealing charm of her fresh youthfulness. She wears a simple white dress, but no hat. Seeing him... Hello, Rob. Startled. <laughs> Hello, Ruth. Jumps the ditch and perches on the fence beside him. I was looking for you. Andy just left here. I know. I met him on the road a second ago. He told me you were here. I wasn't looking for Andy, Smarty, if that's what you mean. I was looking for you. Because I'm going away tomorrow? because your mother was anxious to have you come home and asked me to look for you. I just wheeled Ma over to your house. How is your mother? A shadow coming over her face. She's about the same. She never seems to get any better or worse. Oh, Rob, I do wish she'd try to make the best of things that can't be helped. She been nagging at you again? Nods her head, then breaks forth rebelliously. She never stops nagging. No matter what I do for her, she finds fault. If only Pa was still living. I suppose I shouldn't complain this way. <sighs> Poor Ma. Lord knows it's hard enough for her. I suppose it's natural to be cross when you're not able ever to walk a step. Oh, I'd like to be going away some place. Like you. It's hard to stay. And equally hard to go sometimes. There. If I'm not the stupid body, I swore I wasn't going to speak about your trip, 
until after you'd gone. And there I go, first thing. Why didn't you want to speak of it? Because I didn't want to spoil this last night you're here. Oh, Rob, I'm gonna... We're all gonna miss you so awfully. Your mother is going around looking as if she'd burst out crying any minute. You ought to know how I feel. Andy and you and I. Why, it seems as if we'd always been together. With a wry attempt at a smile. You and Andy will still have each other. It'll be harder for me without anyone. But you'll have new sights and new people to take your mind off, while we'll be here with the old familiar place to remind us every minute of the day. It's a shame you're going, just at this time in spring when everything is getting so nice. I oughtn't to talk that way when I know going's the best thing for you. You're bound to find all sorts of opportunities to get on, your father says. I don't give a damn about that. I wouldn't take a voyage across the road for the best opportunity in the world of the kind Pa thinks of. He smiles at his own irritation. <laughs> Excuse me, Ruth, for getting worked up over it. But Andy gave me an overdose of the practical considerations. Well, then, if it isn't... Oh, Rob, why do you want to go? Turning to her quickly, in surprise. Why do you ask that, Ruth? Dropping her eyes before his searching glance. Because... It seems such a shame. Why? Oh, because... everything. Well, I could hardly back out now, even if I wanted to. And I'll be forgotten before you know it. You won't. I'll never forget. Will you promise me that? Of course. It's mean of you to think that any of us would forget so easily. Oh. But you haven't told me your reason for leaving yet. I doubt you'll understand. It's difficult to explain, even to myself. Either you feel it or you don't. I can remember being conscious of it first when I was only a kid. You haven't forgotten what a sickly specimen I was then in those days, have you? With a shudder. Let's not think about them. You'll have to, to understand. Well, in those days, when Ma was fixing meals, she used to get me out of the way by pushing my chair to the west window and telling me to look out and be quiet. That wasn't hard. I guess I was always quiet. Yes, you always were, and you suffering so much, too. So I used to stare out over the fields to the hills out there. He points to the horizon. And somehow, after a time, I'd forget any pain I was in and start dreaming. I knew the sea was over beyond those hills. The folks had told me. And I used to wonder what the sea was like and try to form a picture of it in my mind. With a smile. There was all the mystery in the world to me then about that far-off sea. And there still is. It called to me then just as it does now. And other times, my mind would follow this, um, road, winding off into the distance toward the hills, as if it too were searching for the sea. And I'd promise myself that when I grew up and was strong, I'd follow that road. And it and I would find the sea together. <laughs> you see, my making this trip is only keeping that promise of long ago. Charmed by his low musical voice telling the dreams of his childhood? Yes, I see. Those were the only happy moments of my life, then. Dreaming there at the window. I liked to be all alone, those times. I got to know all the different kinds of sunsets by heart. And all those sunsets took place over there. He points. Beyond the horizon. So gradually I came to believe that all the wonders of the world happened on the other side of those hills. There was the home of the good fairies who performed beautiful miracles. I believed in fairies then. Perhaps I still do believe in them. Anyway, in those days they were real enough. And sometimes I could actually hear them calling to me to come out and play with them, dance with them down the road in the dusk in a game of hide-and-seek to find out where the sun was hiding himself. They sang their little songs to me, songs that told of all the wonderful things they had in their home on the other side of the hills. And they promised to show me all of them, if I'd only come. Come. But I couldn't come then. And I used to cry sometimes, and Ma would think I was in pain. Ha! <laughs> That's why I'm going now, I suppose. For I can still hear them calling. 
but the horizon is as far away and as luring as ever he turns to her do you understand now ruth spellbound yes you feel it then yes yes i do unconsciously she snuggles close against his side his arm steals about her as if he were not aware of the action oh rob how could i help feeling it you tell things so beautifully suddenly realizing that his arm is round her and that her head is resting on his shoulder gently takes his arm away ruth brought back to herself is overcome with confusion so now you know why i'm going it's for that reason well that and one other you've another then you must tell me that too looking at her searchingly she drops her eyes before his gaze i wonder if i ought to you'll promise not to be angry whatever it is her face still averted yes i promise i love you that's the other reason hiding her face in her hands oh rob i wasn't going to tell you but i feel i have to it can't matter now that i'm going so far away for so long perhaps forever i've loved you all these years but the realization never came till i agreed to go away with uncle dick then i thought of leaving you and the pain of that thought revealed to me in a flash that i loved you had loved you as long as i could remember he gently pulls one of ruth's hands away from her face you mustn't mind my telling you this ruth i realize how impossible it all is and i understand for the revelation of my own love seemed to open my eyes to the love of others i saw andy's love for you and i know that you must love him i don't i don't love andy i don't robert stares at her in stupid astonishment whatever put such a fool notion into your head she suddenly throws her arms about his neck and hides her head on his shoulder oh rob don't go away please you mustn't now you can't i won't let you it'd break my my heart the expression of stupid bewilderment giving way to one of overwhelming joy he presses her close to him do you mean that that you love me yes yes of course i do what do you suppose she lifts up her head and looks into his eyes with a tremulous smile you stupid thing he kisses her i've loved you right along but you and andy were always together because you never seemed to want to go any place with me you were always reading an old book and not paying any attention to me i was too proud to let you see i cared because i thought the year you had away to college had made you stuck up and you thought yourself too educated to waste any time on me kissing her and i was thinking oh, what what fools we both been overcome by a sudden fear you won't go away on the trip will you rob You'll tell them you can't go on account of me, won't you? You can't go now, you can't. Perhaps you can come too. Oh, Rob, don't be so foolish. You know I can't. Who'd take care of Ma? Don't you see I couldn't go on her account? She clings to him imploringly. Please don't go. Not now. Tell them you've decided not to. They won't mind. I know your mother and father'll be glad. They'll all be. They don't want you to go so far away from them. Please, Rob, we'll be so happy here together where it's natural and we know things. Please tell me you won't go. Face to face with a definite final decision. But, Ruth, I... Uncle Dick! He won't mind when he knows it's for your happiness to stay. How could he? Oh, Rob, and you said you loved me. Conquered by the appeal. I won't go, Ruth. I promise you. There, don't don't cry. He presses her to him, stroking her hair tenderly. Perhaps, after all, Andy was right, righter than he knew, when he said I could find all the things I was seeking for here, at home on the farm. I think love must have been the secret, the secret that called to me from over the world's rim, the secret beyond every horizon, and when i did not come it came to me he clasped ruth to him fiercely oh ruth our love is sweeter than any distant dream he kisses her passionately and steps to the ground lifting ruth in his arms and carrying her to the road where he puts her down <laughs> my but you're strong 
Come, we'll go tell them at once. Oh, no, don't, Rob, not till after I've gone. There'd be bound to be such a scene with them all together. Kissing her. As you like, little Miss Common Sense. Let's go, then. She takes his hand, and they start to go off left. Robert suddenly stops and turns as though for a last look at the hills and the dying sunset flush. Looking upward and pointing. Uh, see? The first star. He bends down and kisses her tenderly. Our star. Yes, our very own star. They stand for a moment, looking up at it, their arms around each other. Then Ruth takes his hand again and starts to lead him away. Come, Rob, let's go. His eyes are fixed again on the horizon as he half turns to follow her. We'll be late for supper, Rob. Shakes his head impatiently, as though we were throwing off some disturbing thought. <laughs> All right. We'll run, then. Come on. They run off laughing as the curtain falls. Scene 2 The sitting room of the Mayo farmhouse, about nine o'clock the same night. On the left, two windows looking out on the fields. Against the wall between the windows, an old-fashioned walnut desk. In the left corner, rear, a sideboard with a mirror. In the rear wall, to the right of the sideboard, a window looking out on the road. Next to the window, a door leading out into the yard. Further right, a black horsehair sofa, and another door opening on a bedroom. In the corner, a straight-backed chair. In the right wall, near the middle, an open doorway leading to the kitchen. Further forward, a double-heater stove with coal scuttle, etc. In the center of the newly carpeted floor, an oak dining-room table with a red cover. In the center of the table, a large oil reading lamp. Four chairs, three rockers with crocheted titties on their backs, and one straight-backed, are placed about the table. The walls are papered in dark red with a scrolly-figured pattern. Everything in the room is clean, well-kept, and in its exact place. Yet there is no suggestion of primness about the whole. Rather, the atmosphere is one of the orderly comfort of a simple, hard-earned prosperity, enjoyed and maintained by the family as a unit. James Mayo, his wife, her brother, Captain Dick Scott, and Andrew are discovered. Mrs. Mayo is a slight, round-faced, rather prim-looking woman of fifty-five who had once been a schoolteacher. The labors of a farmer's wife have bent but not broken her, and she retains a certain refinement of movement and expression foreign to the Mayo part of the family. Whatever of resemblance Robert has to his parents may be traced to her. Her brother, the captain, is short and stocky, with a weather-beaten jovial face and a white mustache, a typical old salt, loud of voice and given to gesture. He is fifty-eight years old. James Mayo sits in front of the table. He wears spectacles, and a farm journal which he has been reading lies in his lap. The captain leans forward from a chair in the rear, his hands on the table in front of him. Andrew is tilted back on the straight-back chair to the left, his chin sunk forward on his chest, staring at the carpet, preoccupied and frowning. As the curtain rises, the captain is just finishing the relation of some sea episode. The others are pretending an interest which is belied by the absent-minded expressions on their faces. <laughs> on that mission, woman, she hails me on the dock as I was coming ashore, and she says, with all a silly face all screwed up, serious as judgment, Captain, she says, would you be so kind as to tell me where the seagulls sleeps at nights? Blow me if them weren't her exact words. He slaps the table with the palm of his hand. The others force smiles. <laughs> Ain't that just like a fool woman's question? And I looks at her, serious as I could. Ma'am, says I, I couldn't rightly answer that question. I ain't never seen a seagull in his bunk yet. The next time I hears one snoring, I says, I'll make a note of where he's turned in, and write your letter about it. And then she calls me a fool, real spiteful, and tacks away from me quick. Ha, 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 ha. So I got rid of her that way. The others smile, but immediately relapse into expressions of gloom again, feeling that she has to say something. But when it comes to that, where do seagulls sleep, Dick? Slapping the table. Ha, 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 ha. Listen to her, James. Another one. Well, if that don't beat all hell. Excuse me for cussing, Kate. With a twinkle in his eyes. They unhitch their wings, Katie, and spreads them out on a wave for a bed. 
and then they tells the fish to whistle to em when it's time to turn out. Ho, ho! With a forced smile. You men folks are too smart to live, aren't you? She resumes her knitting. Mayo pretends to read his paper. Andrew stares at the floor. Looks from one to the other of them with a puzzled air. Finally, he is unable to bear the thick silence a moment longer. You folks look as you were sitting up with the cops. God almighty, there ain't anybody dead, be there? Don't play the dunce, stick. You know as well as I do there ain't no great cause to be feeling chipper. And there ain't no cause to be wearing mourning either, I can make out. How can you talk that way, Dick Scott, when you're taking our Robbie away from us in the middle of the night, you might say, just to get on that old boat of yours on time? I think you might wait until morning when he's had his breakfast. Appealing to the others hopelessly. Ain't that a woman's way of seeing things for you? God almighty, Keat, I can't give orders to the tide that's got to be high just when it suits me to have it. I ain't getting no fun out of missing sleep and leaving here at six bells myself. And the Sunder ain't an old ship, leastways not very old. And she's good she ever was. Your boy Robert'll be safe aboard of her as he'd be at home in bed here. Her lips trembling. I wish Robbie weren't going. Looking at her over his glasses. There, Katie. Well, I do wish he wasn't. He shouldn't be taking it so hard, as far as I can see. This vige will make a man of him. I'll see to it he learns to navigate and study for a mate's certificate right off. I'll give him a tray for the rest of his life, if he wants to travel. But I don't want him to travel all his life. You've got to see he comes home when this trip is over. Then he'll be all well, and he'll want to... to marry, and settle down right here. Andrew sits forward in his chair with an abrupt movement, staring down at the knitting in her lap. I never realized how hard it was going to be for me to have Robbie go, or I wouldn't have considered it a minute. It ain't no good going on in that way, Kate. Now it's all settled. It's all right for you to talk. You've never had any children. You don't know what it means to be parted from them. And Robbie, my youngest, too. Andrew frowns and fidgets in his chair, suddenly turning to them. There's one thing none of you seem to take into consideration, that Rob wants to go. He's dead set on it. He's been dreaming over this trip ever since it was first talked about. It wouldn't be fair to him not to have him go. A sudden thought seems to strike him. At least not if he still feels the same way about it he did when he was talking to me this evening. Andy's right, Katie. That ends all argument. You can see that. Looking at his big silver watch. Wonder what's happened to Robert. He's been gone long enough to wheel the widow to home, certain. He can't be out dreaming that the stars is last night. Why didn't you wheel Mrs. Atkins back tonight, Andy? You usually do when she and Ruth come over. Avoiding her eyes. I thought maybe Robert wanted to tonight. He offered to go right away when they were leaving. He only wanted to be polite. Gets to his feet. Well... He'll be right back, I guess. He turns to his father. Guess I'll go take a look at the black cow, Pa. See if she's ailing any. Yes, better had, son. Andrew goes into the kitchen on the right. As he goes out. There's a boy that'd make a good, strong, seafaring man. If he had a mind to. Don't you put no such fool notions in Andy's head, Dick, or you and me are gonna fall out. Then he smiles. You couldn't tempt him. No ways. Andy's a male, bred in the bone, and he's a born farmer, and a damn good one, too. He'll live and die right here on this farm, like I expect to. And he'll make this one of the slickest, best-paying farms in the state, too, before he gets through. Seems to me it's a pretty slick place right now. Shaking his head. It's too small. We need more land to make it amount to much, and we ain't got the capital to buy it. Andrew enters from the kitchen. His hat is on, and he carries a lighted lantern in his hand. He goes to the door in the rear leading out. Opens the door and pauses. Anything else you can think of to be done, Pa? No, nothing I know of. Andrew goes out, shutting the door. What's come over Andy tonight, I wonder? He acts so strange. He does seem sort of glum and out of sorts. It's Count of Robert leaving, I suppose. To Scott. Dick, 
You wouldn't believe how them boys of mine sticks together. They ain't like most brothers. They've been thick as thieves all their lives, with nary a quarrel I can remember. No need to tell me that. I can see how they take to each other. Pursuing her train of thought. Did you notice, James, how queer everyone was at supper? Robert seemed stirred up about something, and Ruth was so flustered and giggly, and Andy sat there dumb, looking as if he'd lost his best friend, and all of them only nibbled at their food. Yes, they was all thinking about tomorrow, same as us. Shaking her head. No, I'm afraid something's happened. Something else. You mean about Ruth? Yes. I hope her and Andy ain't had a serious falling out. I always uh, sort of hope they'd hitch up together sooner or later. What'd you say, Dick? Don't you think them two would pair up well? Nodding his head approvingly. A sweet, wholesome couple they'd make. It'd be a good thing for Andy in more ways than one. I ain't what you'd call calculating, generally, and I believe in letting young folks run their affairs to suit themselves. But there's advantages for both of them in this match you can't overlook in reason. The Atkins farm is right next to Arn. Join together, they'd make the Jim Dandy of a place with plenty of room to work in. And being a widder with only a daughter and laid up all the time to boot, Mrs. Atkins can't do nothing with the place as it ought to be done. She needs a man, a first-class farmer, to take hold of things. And Andy's just the one. I don't think Ruth loves Andy. You don't? <laughs> well, maybe a woman's eyes is sharper in such things, but, but they're always together. And if she don't love him now, she'll likely come round to it in time. As Mrs. Mayo shakes her head. You seem mighty fixed in your opinion, Katie. How'd you know? It's just what I feel. A light breaking over him. You don't mean to say... Mrs. Mayo nods. <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> I'm losing my respect for your eyesight, Katie. Why, Robert ain't got no time for Ruth, except as a friend. Shh! The door from the yard opens, and Robert enters. He is smiling happily and humming a song to himself. But as he comes into the room... An undercurrent of nervous uneasiness manifests itself in his bearing. So, here you be at last. <laughs> Robert comes forward and sits on Andy's chair. Mayo smiles shyly at his wife. What have you been doing all this time? Counting the stars to see if they all come out right and proper? There's only one I'll ever look for any more, Pa. You might have even not wasted time looking for that one your last night. You ought to have worn your coat a sharp night like this, Robbie. God, a mighty cake. You treat Robert as if he was one year old. She notices Robert's nervous uneasiness. You look all worked up over something, Robbie. What is it? Swallowing hard, looks quickly from one to the other of them. Yes, there, there is something. Something I must tell you. All of you. As he begins to talk, Andrew enters quietly from the rear, closing the door behind him, and setting the lighted lantern on the floor. He remains standing by the door, his arms folded, listening to Robert with a repressed expression of pain on his face. Robert is so much taken up with what he is going to say that he does not notice Andrew's presence. Something I discovered only this evening, very beautiful and wonderful, something I didn't take into consideration previously because I hadn't dared to hope that such happiness could ever come to me. You must all remember that fact, won't you? Well, let's get to the point, son. Well, the point is this, Pa. I'm not going. I, I mean, I, I can't go tomorrow with Uncle Dick. Or at any future time, either. Oh, Robbie, I'm so glad. You ain't serious, be you, Robert? Seems to me it's a pretty late hour in the day for you to be upsetting all your plans so sudden. I asked you to remember that until this evening I didn't know myself. I never did to dream. What is this foolishness you're talking of? Flushing. Ruth told me this evening that she loved me. It was after I'd confessed I loved her. I, I told her I hadn't been conscious of my love until after the trip had been arranged, and I realized it would mean leaving her. That was the truth. I, I, I didn't know until then. As if justifying himself to the others. I hadn't intended telling her anything, but 
Suddenly, I felt I must. I didn't think it would matter because I was going away, and I thought she loved someone else. His eyes shining. And then she cried and said it was I she'd loved all the time, but I hadn't seen it. Rushes over and throws her arms about him. I knew it. I was just telling your father when you came in. And oh, Robbie, I'm so happy you're not going. Kissing her. I knew you'd be glad, Ma. Well, I'll be damned. You do beat all for getting folks' minds all tangled up, Robert. And Ruth, too. Whatever got into her of a sudden. Why, I was thinking... Never mind what you were thinking, James. It wouldn't be any use telling us that now. And what you were hoping for turns out just the same almost, doesn't it? Beginning to see this side of the argument. Yes, I suppose you're right, Katie. Scratching his head in puzzlement. But how it ever come about? It do beat anything ever I heard. Finally, he gets up with a sheepish grin and walks over to Robert. We're glad you ain't going, your ma and I. For we'd have missed you terrible, that's certain and sure. And we're glad you found happiness. Ruth's a fine girl. She'll make a good wife to you. Thank you, Pa. He grips his father's hand in his. His face, tense and drawn, comes forward and holds out his hand, forcing a smile. I guess it's my turn to offer congratulations, isn't it? With a startled cry when his brother appears before him so suddenly. Andy! Why, I, I didn't see you. Were you here when... I heard everything you said, and here's wishing you every happiness, you and Ruth. You both deserve the best there is. Taking his hand. Thanks, Eddie. It's fine of you to... His voice dies away as he sees the pain in Andrew's eyes, giving his brother's hand a final grip. Good luck to you both. He turns away and goes back to the rear where he bends over the lantern, fumbling with it to hide his emotion from the others. To the captain who had been too flabbergasted by Robert's decision to say a word. What's the matter, Dick? Aren't you going to congratulate Robbie? Of course I be. He gets to his feet and shakes Robert's hand. Luck to you, boy. He stands beside Robert, as if he wished to say something more but doesn't know how to go about it. Thanks, Uncle Dick. So you're not coming on the sonder with me? I can't, Uncle. Uh, not now. I wouldn't miss it for anything else in the world under any other circumstances. <sighs> But you see, I've found a bigger dream. I want you all to understand one thing. I, I'm not going to be a loafer on your hands any longer. This means the beginning of a new life for me in every way. I, I'm going to settle right down and take a real interest in the farm and do my share. I'll prove to you, Pa, that I'm as good a male as you are, Andy, when I want to be. That's the right spirit, Robert. Ain't none of us doubts your willingness, but... You ain't never learned. Then I'm going to start learning right away, and you'll teach me, won't you? Of course I will, boy. Be glad to. Only you'd best go easy at first. Who has listened to this conversation in mingled consternation and amazement? You don't mean to tell me you're going to let him stay, do you, James? Why, things being as they be, Robert's free to do as he's a mind to. Let him, the very idea. Then all I got to say is... You're a soft, weak-willed critter, to be permitting a boy, and women, too, to be laying your course for you wherever they damn pleases. It's just the same with me as it was with you, Dick. You can't order the tides on the seas to suit you, and I ain't pretending I can regulate love for young folks. Love. They ain't old enough to know love when they sight it. Love. I'm ashamed of you, Robert. To go letting a little hugging and kissing on the dark spoil your chances to make a man out of yourself. It ain't common sense. No, sirree, it ain't. Not by a hell of a sight. He pounds the table with his fists in exasperation, laughing provokingly at her brother. <laughs> a fine one. You are to be talking about love, Dick, an old cranky bachelor like you. Goodness sakes. Exasperated by their joking. I've never been a damn fool like most, if that's what you're staring at. Sour grapes, aren't they, Dick? <laughs> Goodness gracious, Dick, you do act silly, flying into a temper over nothing. She laughs. Robert and his father chuckle. Scott sputters with annoyance. Nothing? Is that what you call it? Nothing? You would talk as if I wasn't concerned no how in this here business. Seems to me I've got a right to have my say. 
Ain't I gone to all sorts of trouble getting the stave cabin all cleaned out and painted and fixed up so's that rubber of yours would be comfortable? Ain't I made all arrangements with the owners and stocked up with some special grub all on Robert's account? You've been fine, Uncle Dick, and I appreciate it, truly. Of course, we all does, Dick. It's all right for you to say don't this and don't that, but you ain't seen things from my side of it. I've been counting sure on having Robert for company on this voyage. To sort of talk to and show things to and teach, kind of, and I got my mind so set on having him, I'm going to be double lonesome this voyage. He pounds on the table, attempting to cover up this confession of weakness. Darn all this silly loving business, anyway. But all this talk ain't telling me what I'm to do with that staved cabin I fixed up. It's all painted white, on a brand new mattress and a bunk, new sheets and blankets and things. And Chip's building a bookcase so's Robert could dig his books along with a sliding bar fixed across it, mine, so they couldn't fall out no matter how she rolled. What do you suppose my officers are going to think when there's nobody comes aboard to occupy that stayed cabin? And the men that did the work on it, what'll they think? He shakes his finger indignantly. They're liable as not to suspicion it was a woman I planned to ship along, and that she gave me the go-by at the last moment. He wipes his perspiring brow in anguish at this thought. God almighty! They're only looking to have the laugh on me for something like that. They're liable to believe anything, those fellows is. With a wink. Well, then there's nothing to it but for you to get right out and hunt up a wife, Summers, for that spick and span cabin. <laughs> She'll have to be a pretty one, too, to match it. <laughs> he looks at his watch with exaggerated concern. You ain't got much time to find her, Dick. As the others smile. You can go to Thunder, Jim Mayo comes forward when Murray has been standing by the door, rear, brooding. His face is set in a look of grim determination. You needn't worry about that spare cabin, Uncle Dick, if you've a mind to take me in Robert's place. Turning to him quickly. Eddie! He sees at once the fixed resolve in his brother's eyes, and realizes immediately the reason for it. Eddie, you mustn't! You've made your decision, Rob, and now I've made mine. You're out of this, remember? hurt by his brother's tongue. But, Andy! Don't interfere, Rob. That's all I ask. Turning to his uncle. You haven't answered my question, Uncle Dick. Clearing his throat, with an uneasy side glance at James Mayo, who was staring at his elder son, as if he thought he had suddenly gone mad. <clears throat> Course, I'd be glad to have you, Andy. It's settled, then. I can pack the little I want to take in a few minutes. Don't be a fool, Dick. Andy's only joking with you. It's hard to tell who's joking and who's not in this house. I'm not joking, Uncle Dick. You needn't be afraid I'll go back on my word. Hurt by the insinuation he feels Andrew's one. Andy! Andy, that isn't fair! Seems to me this ain't no subject to joke over, not for Andy. Facing his father. I agree with you, Pa. And I tell you again, once and for all, that I've made up my mind to go. Dumbfounded unable to doubt the determination in Andrew's voice. But why, son, why? I've always wanted to go. Oh, Andy! You shut up, Rob. Turning to his father again. I didn't ever mention it, because as long as Rob was going, I knew it was no use. But now Rob's staying on here. There isn't any reason for me not to go. No reason? Can you stand there and say that to me, Andrew? Hastily, seeing the gathering storm. He doesn't mean a word of it, James. Making a gesture to her to keep silence. Let me talk, Katie. What's come over you so sudden, Andy? You know as well as I do that it wouldn't be fair of you to run off at a moment's notice right now when we're up to our necks in hard work. Avoiding his eyes. Rob will hold his end up as soon as he learns. Robert was never cut out for a farmer, and you was. You can easily get a man to do my work. Restraining his anger with an effort. It sounds strange to hear you, Andy, that I always thought had good sense talking crazy like that. Get a man to take your place. You ain't been working here for no hire, Andy, that you can give me your notice to quit like you're done. The farm is yourn as well as mine. You've always worked on it with that understanding, and what you're saying you intend doing is just skulking out of your rightful responsibility. Looking at the floor. I'm sorry, Pa. 
It's no use talking any more about it. There, I knew Andy'd come to his senses. Don't get the wrong idea, Ma. I'm not backing out. You mean you're going in spite of everything? Yes, I'm going. I've got to. He looks at his father defiantly. I feel I oughtn't to miss this chance to go out into the world and see things, and I want to go. So you want to go out into the world and see things? I never thought I'd live to see the day when a son of mine would look me in the face and tell a bare-faced lie. You're a liar, Andy Mayo, and a mean one to boot. James! Pa! Steady there, Jim. Waving their protest aside. He is, and he knows it. His face flushed. I won't argue with you, Pa. You can think as badly of me as you like. Shaking his finger at Andy in a cold rage. You know I'm speaking the truth. That's why you're afraid to argue. You lie when you say you want to go away and see things. You ain't got no liking in the world to go. I've watched you grow up, and I know your ways, and they're my ways. You're running against your own nature, and you're going to be a mighty sorry for it if you do. As if I didn't know your real reason for running away. And running away is the only words to fit it. You're running away because you're put out and riled because your brother's got Ruth instead of you, and— Stop. Pa, I won't stand hearing that, not even from you. Rushing to Andy and putting her arms about him protectingly. Don't mind him, Andy, dear. He doesn't mean a word he's saying. Robert stands rigidly, his hands clenched, his face contracted by pain. Scott sits dumbfounded and open-mouthed. Andrew sues his mother, who is on the verge of tears. It's the truth, Andy Mayo, and you ought to be bowed in shame to think of it. Pa! Coming from Andrew to his father, puts her hands on his shoulders, as though to try and push him back in the chair from which he had risen. Won't you be still, James? Please, won't you? Looking at Andrew over his wife's shoulder. But truth, God's truth! Shh! She tries to put a finger across his lips, but he twists his head away. Who has regained control over himself? You're wrong, Pa. It isn't truth. I don't love Ruth. I never loved her, and the thought of such a thing never entered my head. Oh! <sighs> You're piling lie on lie. I suppose it'd be hard for you to explain anyone's wanting to leave this blessed farm, except for some outside reason like that. But I'm sick and tired of it, whether you want to believe me or not. And that's why I'm glad to get a chance to move on. Andy, don't! You're only making it worse. I don't care. I've done my share of work here. I've earned my right to quit when I want to. Suddenly overcome with anger and grief. I'm sick and tired of the whole damn business. I hate the farm and every inch of ground in it. I'm sick of digging in the dirt and sweating in the sun like a slave without getting a word of thanks for it. I'm through. Through for good and all, and if Uncle Dick won't take me on his ship, I'll find another. I'll get away somewhere, somehow. Don't you answer him, James. He doesn't know what he's saying. Don't say a word to him till he's in his right senses again. Please, James, don't. Pushes her away from him. His face is drawn and pale with the violence of his passion. He glares at Andrew as if he hated him. You dare to, you dare to speak like that to me? You talk like that about this farm, the Mayo farm where you was born, you, you... He clenches his fist above his head and advances threateningly on Andrew. You damned whelp! Ah, James! She covers her face with her hands and sinks wearily into Mayo's chair. Andrew remains standing motionless, his face pale and set, starting to his feet and stretching his arms across the table towards Mayo. Is you there, Jim? Throwing himself between father and brother. Stop! Are, are you mad? grabs Robert's arm and pushes him aside, then stands for a moment, gasping for breath before Andrew. He points to the door with a shaking finger. Yes, go, go! You're no son of mine, no son of mine. You can go to hell if you want to. Don't let me find you here in the morning, or I'll throw you out. Pa, for God's sake! You go tomorrow morning, and by God, don't come back, don't dare come back, by God, not while I'm living, or I'll, I'll... He shakes over his muttered threat, and strides towards the door, rear, right, rising and throwing her arms around him. James, James, where are you going? I'm going to bed, Katie. 
It's late. Katie, it's late. He goes out, following him. James, take back what you've said to Andy. James! She follows him out. Robert and the captain stare after them with horrified eyes. Andrew stands rigidly looking straight in front of him, his fists clenched at his sides. The first to find his voice. <sighs> well, if he ain't the devil himself when he's roused. You oughtn't to talk to him that way, Andy, about the damn farm, knowing how touchy he is about it. Well, you won't mind what he said in anger. He'll be sorry for her when he's calmed down a bit. You don't know him. What's said is said and can't be unsaid, and I've chosen. Andy, you can't go. This is all so stupid and terrible. I'll talk to you in a minute, Rob. Crushed by his brother's cold indifference, Robert sinks down into a chair, holding his head in his hands. Andrew turns again to Scott. Comes and slaps Andrew on the back, beaming. I'm damn glad you're shipping on, Andy. I like your spirit, and the way you spoke up to him. You was right not to want to waste your life plowing dirt and padding it down again. The sea's a place for a young fella like you that isn't half dead and alive. You and me'll get along like twins. See if we don't. I'm darn glad you're coming, boy. He gives Andy a final approving slap. Right. I'm going aloft to turn in and leave you two alone. Don't forget to pack your dunnage. And get some sleep if you can. We want to sneak out extra early before they're up. It'll do away with more arguments. He goes to the door on the rear, left. Well, good night. Good night. Scott goes out. The two brothers remain silent for a moment. Then Andrew comes over to his brother and puts a hand on his back. Buck up, Rob. It ain't any use crying over spilt milk. And it'll all turn out for the best, let's hope. It couldn't be helped. What's happened? But it's a lie, Andy! A lie! Of course it's a lie. You know it, and I know it. But that's all ought to know it. Paul, never forgive you. Oh, the whole affair is so senseless and tragic. Why did you think you must go away? You know better than to ask that. You know why. I can wish you and Ruth all the good luck in the world, and I do, and I mean it. But you can't expect me to stay around here and watch you two together, day after day, and me alone. I couldn't stand it. Not after all the plans I'd made to happen on this place, thinking, thinking she cared for me. Putting a hand on his brother's arm. God, it's horrible. I feel so guilty to think that. I should be the cause of your suffering after we've been such pals all our lives. If I could have foreseen what had happened, I, I swear to you, I'd have never said a word to Ruth. I, I swear I wouldn't, Andy. I know you wouldn't. And that would have been worse, for Ruth would have suffered then. He pats his brother's shoulder. It's best as it is. It had to be. And I've got to stand the gaff, that's all. Paul, see how I felt. After a time. As Robert shakes his head. And if he don't, well, it can't be helped. But think of Mom! God, Eddie, you can't go, you can't! I've got to go, to get away. I've got to, I tell you. I'd go crazy here, be reminded every second of the day what a fool I'd made of myself. I've got to get away and try and forget it, if I can. And I'd hate the farm if I stayed. Hate it for bringing things back. I couldn't take interest in the work anymore. Work with no purpose in sight. Can't you see what a hell it'd be? You love her too, Rob. Put yourself in my place. And remember, I haven't stopped loving her. And couldn't if I was to stay. Would that be fair to you or to her? Put yourself in my place. He shakes his brother fiercely by the shoulder. What did you do then? Tell me the truth. You love her. What did you do? I... I go, Andy. He buries his face in his hands. God! Seeming to relax suddenly all over his body. Then you know why I got to go. 
and there's nothing more to be said. In a frenzy of rebellion. Why did this have to happen to us? It's damnable! He looks about him wildly, as if his vengeance were seeking the responsible fate. Again, putting his hands on his brother's shoulder. It's no use fussing any more, Rob. It's done. Forcing a smile. I guess Ruth's got a right to have who she likes. She made a good choice, and God bless her for it. Andy, oh, I wish I could tell you half I feel of how fine you are. Shut up. Let's go to bed. I've got to be up long before sunup. You too, if you're going to drive us down. Yes. Yes. Turning down the lamp. And I've got to pack yet. <sighs> I'm as tired as if I'd been plowing 24 hours at a stretch. I feel dead. Robert covers his face again with his hands. Andrew shakes his head as if to get rid of his thoughts. I'm going to douse the light. Come on. He slaps his brother on the back. Robert does not move. Andrew bends over and blows out the lamp. His voice comes from the darkness. Don't sit there mourning, Rob. It'll all come out in the wash. Come on and get some sleep. Everything'll turn out all right in the end. Robert can be heard stumbling to his feet, and the dark figures of the two brothers can be seen groping their way towards the doorway in the rear as the curtain falls. End of Act One